Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Table Topics Podcast. My name is Caleb, and joining me, as always, are... Ennis. Chris. Santiago. And today, we have a very fun, kind of a part two, but more of a, you know, yin and yang sort of situation. We talked about how to be a good player before, and now we're going to be discussing how to be a good GM. Mm -hmm. Just like we mentioned in the uh, player one this is more tips and tricks about yeah. how to be a good GM. We're not going to be, you know, going through big deep dives on how to build a setting. And, yeah, it's know. different from how to GM, yeah. which is a very long topic. This is more how to, how can you make yourself just a little bit better at yeah. it? I, I feel like it's mostly things that we've learned from playing with GMs and, you know, things seeing things that we thought were good and, you know, things that we thought maybe weren't uh, uh, as good. And, you know, some of us being GMs ourselves, being like, you know, getting feedback from our players. It's like, oh, we liked when you did this and, you know. Uh, and things that, you know, work to keep a campaign going. So, and, uh, you know, it's tips and tricks we've learned. And, uh, and also going over kind of like what differentiates what a GM is versus the players. Because you can, they're like two monikers in tabletop mm -hmm. role-playing games. And they are very different, but ultimately both of the groups kind of work towards making a fun experience. But yeah. Because they're different, you have to kind of treat things differently. Definitely. And on that note, let's get the definitions out of the way right away. What is a GM? What is a GM? What is a GM? GM is, uh, well, the word stands for Game Master. Uh, some people might be familiar with DM, Dungeon Master, you know. Dungeons and Dragons made that term popular. Yeah. Uh, it's the person that runs the game. And by runs the game, we mean the things that are the structure, the, you know, the, the backbone for the game. Things like non-player characters for the players to interact yeah. with. Things like environments, antagonists, allies. Yeah, they create the world yeah. in which the players go through their adventures on, in whatever game. Mm -hmm. We're using the more generalized term GM instead of, or game master instead of the proprietary dungeon master, but that's, they're pretty much, you know. For, for a lot of people, they're interchangeable. The exact, exactly, yeah. interchangeable. And, and GMs play a very special role. Um, if tabletop role-playing games were video games, GMs would take the role of the programming of the computer AI running all the systems, making sure, running all the NPCs like we talked about, etc. But in the tabletop role-playing space, they play more the role of the other voice in a dual conversation, mm -hmm. where the player is on one side and the DM on the other. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what GMs are there, to be the other half of the conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in a lot of cases, that GM role ends up also being the role of storyteller, but that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, I just know at a lot of our tables, yeah. we have a lot of GMs who are grand narrative focused, uh, but it depends on your style. Yeah, it uh, also depends on the game as yeah, well. Yeah. That's another big thing. Like Usually it's kind of seen as the GM is the person who controls the world, all the other characters that aren't the player characters, and Everything in between is mostly controlled by the GM. That's how it's normally seen, but and I in a like lot of games, it's not exactly like that, right? Yeah, in that also that traditional way that a lot mm -hmm. of people are used to GMs, it's also the GM that creates the story and the plot hooks and, you know, 
who the antagonists yeah. are and, and and things like that, and which direction the the sto- overall story is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are plenty of games, and I feel like uh, it, especially more modern games yeah. that encourage the storyteller role to be like not the GM or like only partially the GM, and like other players, like the players will be involved in making and writing the plot hooks and, you know, like, deciding what the story is. In the most recent game we played... uh, Blaze in the Dark? And had an episode on was Blaze in the Dark, which very much so kind of flips that whole Mm. idea on its head that the GM is responsible for, you know... The entire storytelling. The entire storytelling, yeah. 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 And and there's something that you said just now that kind of illustrates what I would consider a a problem that GMs face and many games face is uh, you you went to describe the players as the other players and and, you know then you correct yourselves the players but the the game master is a player in this game he's just taking on a different role and ultimately GMs also need to have fun when they're running a game yeah you're not a referee you're a part of the like GMs are supposed to have fun, and I know a lot of people kind of view it as like an antagonistic relationship where either the GM's having fun or I'm having fun. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, some people like it that way, and that's fine, you know, but it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, yeah, I feel for me and most people I've interacted with, like, the ultimate goal of the game is to hang out and you tell know, a fun story. Tell, tell a fun story. Be involved in a fun story. Do do wacky stuff that you're going to tell stories about later to to the people that weren't there. And on a podcast. Yeah, and on a podcast. <laughs> uh, and all for content. Yeah, it's all for content, but you know, for you. Uh, and so, like you know, the GM is there to get that as much as the players are there to get that. And yeah, to what Santi was saying, it's just a different role that you're you're playing. Yeah. How do you feel about the idea of GM as rules arbiter. So it, I feel like it's what people are used to. That's mm. first of all, is what people are used to. Mm. And second of all, it's one of two options. You either have a rules arbiter, mm. and whether or not that's the GM, you could be like, whatever. But there has to be one person who's like, he, that person has the final say on the rules. Otherwise... People can get into arguments about, like, w- which way things work, and, mm-hmm. you know, that can, like, really, <laughs> really drag on, or take or over a session, or create or fri- yeah. friction, uh, and so you have to have one person that's like, alright, this is how we're doing it, and we're moving on, and so it can be called off at some point, whether or not that's the GM, that's up to you, or it has to be, like, uh, like, beforehand like i can imagine a group which is like an odd number let's say five people are running a game and they're like all right whenever we get into like an argument about a rule everyone votes for for or against one way and then we move on with whatever that ruling is yeah so i i I can see ways to not have the gm being the rules arbiter but someone has to be the rules arbiter and since the gm is already in a lot of the traditional (laughs) sense like setting the story up and setting the plot up and setting the world up. It's a default role. It's a default role there. I feel like it's easy for the GM to be that role. I I have kind of a differentiating point of view on this, and it's that in in the first few sessions of a campaign, Mm -hmm. 
the, the GM generally is the rules arbiter because he sets up the campaign setting. He sets up the rules of the, the kind of like the social interactions. And these kind of rules kind of like play into players' expectations of a setting. So when a player or a group of players starts playing in a game, they don't necessarily know what are the rules of the campaign. Yeah. Like, is it a rule that if I try to do something cool, it will more likely work than not because of the rule of cool or is this more of a realistic and 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 grim dark or 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 gritty setting and where things have to be more uh measured and and simulistic and those few sessions kind of establish those rules and the gm generally is the rules arbiter but after those first few sessions the the rules arbiter kind of takes on in my opinion this kind of like ephemeral space where players have these kind of like expectations of the rules and they create kind of like assumptions of what those rules mean right. for other things. And while ultimately it's either a group or a GM consensus, whether when, when a group discussion comes up, the rules arbiter is already kind of like, I want to call it like a group zeitgeist rules arbiter, where like the, the rules of the campaign are already thought of by the time that you get there, like it, it's 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 the rules of the setting are established early on, and then they're just vocalized when it becomes uh, a point of contention. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, so I get what you're saying with that, but at the same time, I feel like you're right about it being as like guys. But when it comes down to, I jump in front of this vehicle and I suddenly turn my shield into an immovable object. Do I take damage or not? Mm-hmm. Like, someone has to decide that, and that's what we're talking about with the Arbiter. No matter how well-developed your group psychics and your group understanding of the rules is, like, some people will be like, eh, you don't take any damage, and some people are, you take a little bit of damage because, you know, it'll put strain on your shoulder. And some people are like, eh, you'll take a lot of damage because the the parts of the vehicle will still, you know, collapse around the the shield and hit you. And so someone's going to have to make the ultimate decision of it's like, how is, which way is this going to go? And I feel like in most settings, that's what we mean by group arbiter. And that's usually like on the shoulders of the GM. Yeah. And I agree. I think in those circumstances, I know that a lot of people will go to the rules and Mm -hmm. like, okay, let's look at the rules, exactly what's written. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we're going to go by in the ruling, right? And sometimes, like, you don't even have to do that. Mm -hmm. We can just agree, okay, we don't like that rule, again, like the rule of cool, or just something that you don't like, you know? Uh, Just modifying it to be more intuitive. Um, I feel like sometimes it's also just a matter of looking it up takes time, and, and, like, we'll halt the, the... The progress of the session, especially or, if you're into it, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. You it, don't want it, it'll be... help the action or something like yeah. in, in that moment. And so I feel like that that's also when you want the rules arbiter to be like, okay, this is what we're rolling with right now, and then we're just going to keep going. Again, what I would say is like this is definitely a discussion that you have to have with your group, yeah, as a GM or as a player, just being like when situations like this arise, like we just kind of need to like all agree on something, let's yeah. not, you know, get very stuck on a point and be like, no, that's not how that would work. And mm-hmm. I know that I have done that sometimes about, like, things that I, like, think and know about in the real world that I'm applying to a fantasy world, but, like, I'm not thinking in that moment yeah. clearly about, like, oh, like, this is going to totally halt the story. Yeah. So that's, like, a personal point of, 
I need to get better at that. But. We pointed this out in the How to Be a Good Player episode, yeah. the same exact topic. And, like, it, this, again, like, as Santi was saying, GM is just as much of a player. And sometimes you just gotta get the ball, uh, keep the ball rolling. And yeah. Then, later come back to, to it. To be honest, we I <laughs> one of the campaigns that we have played Lancer. Yeah. Oh my that is a very rules heavy, crunchy sort of mm-hmm. um game. Yeah, and mechanic like and very me- mechanics heavy games. Exactly. Knowing how all the mechanics interact with each other and players making assumptions about how those things interact, that's where you can get a lot of those like Ooh, I'm not sure it works that way. Yeah, and I've had a, I've been on the sidelines of and like just trying to get like two parties to be like, hey guys, let's just like agree with what the GM decides, you know? Yeah. Like let's not let's not fucking yeah. get such a stick in the mud about this because yeah. it really it detracts from the fun of the situation. Yeah, because usually it's when tr- somebody's trying to do a cool thing, but like also you don't want them breaking the entire encounter, right? So. Yeah. It is definitely a, a touchy subject, but something that, like, you know, out of the moment needs to be something that's yeah. a little more discussed. Whenever possible, have rules discussions, not during game time. Yeah. Because nobody has fun when the, it's a rules discussion happening during game time. Yeah. That's just... Yeah. Rules lawyering does halt the fun. <laughs> Well, generally, I agree. I do think that those discussions should and need to happen. Mm -hmm. Because the more that a kind of like rule setting in a game or Mm -hmm. or the way the more that the rules are brought into question on their validity, like things start becoming inconsistent or incongruent with the way that the players as a whole, including the GM, have set out the campaign to be the less it matters, and ultimately it means that the more this happens, the less it matters, the yeah. less engagement and involvement. Well, I'm not saying are. that we ignore it. I'm saying that you come up with a ruling in that moment, and then maybe later you'll look at it, right? Oh, yeah, no, I'm saying, like, this is a cumulative effect. Like, you should not let this... <laughs> oh, yeah, fast- you, don't, you don't want it to, like, snowball into, like, a... I mean, like, <laughs> maybe you want a completely different version of the game that you're currently playing. <laughs> But I, I don't know. I feel like we're talking about this too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, here's, honestly, like, what this boils down to is what I consider my first tip uh, as a GM. And this is all, again, I think we brought this up uh, when we were uh, talking about uh, being a good player, is have a discussion at the start of the campaign about expectations. Mm-hmm. Like, about what you expect, like... About rules. About yeah, how homebrewy is this going to get? Right. How, how homebrewy? How are? How like stickler to the rules are we going to be? Yeah. How, like for example, I think you should. This is my personal preference. Mm-hmm. I think having rules lookups in mid session is not necessarily bad. It's just you mm-hmm. should put a timer on it. Yeah. Like you could be like, if we can find it within like. Two minutes or less, then we, then then we look at it. If not, then yeah. we're just gonna go with the GM's ruling and look it up later. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like, I think we can all agree with that. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's how most of us run. Like, yeah. you know, you have like, and it's the timing. I say two minutes. It's like when it starts to feel like it's gone too long, then it has gone yeah. too long, and it's time to just go with whatever ruling it exactly. is. Exactly. If it if one thing goes on a while and there's no clear ruling on it. That's when yeah. these are the sort of situations we're yeah. talking about. Less so, like, how does grappling work? I don't know. Let's just make it up. 
Like, less so that. Yeah. But also, again, if your group's fine with that, yeah. mm-hmm. go for it. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, with grappling, I can't attack anyone. And then it's like, wait, can you? And then you look it up 30 seconds. It's like, oh, no, it doesn't say anything about attacking. You can attack whoever you want. Exactly. You just can't move. There you go. And <laughs> just going to die. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, and that's fine. It doesn't up. take uh, that long. And I feel like that's what we should do for all these expectations. Like, who's doing the ar- rules arbitrating? That's a conversation to have, you know, very early on in a campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what tone we have. And, you know, all these other things. That happens early on. And I honestly, this is a part that is, I feel like, because of how everyone plays... It feels like it's incumbent on the GM. It's not necessarily the case. I feel like players are just as responsible for this as uh, game masters are. Mm-hmm. To have these conversations, to start things, even like starting campaigns, a lot of people think it's like, oh, oh like it's GMs that start the campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you could just as well just be like, I want to play this. Who wants to GM for yeah. me? Hey, the first- Caleb. Well, that's the thing. As a player, hey, Caleb. I, yeah. I straight up come up with, like, ideas for characters and systems that I'm like, I like an idea for a character. I can't wait for a session to start for that. Um, So, tip number one that I would give to uh, GMs is set your expectations out the gate for the story that you're telling and how we're going to be handling stuff like the rules, right? Like, what sort of story are we telling? What's the environment? What kind of characters do we want to play? Is this going to be a dark, you know, kind of noir style? Or is it going to be kind of happy-go-lucky fun? Is it going to be a sci-fi adventure? You know, or is it going to be more chill and, you know, slice of life? Yeah, and these things can change over time. Exactly. You like, might yeah. start a campaign thinking that it's going to be a dark, gritty, super depressing campaign, and then it turns into a bunch of goofballs saving the world. Like, can I just That's say just my style? Can I just say I put that on you as it to oh, on big dark because I I I did make a very goofy character, but I made it because you were like we're gonna be very dark, and I'm like, can I make the comedic relief? And you were like, yes, you can absolutely make the comedic relief, and I made the comedic relief. I was not the most comedic and like goofbally character, which means you said yes to all those other characters. <laughs> That's on you. The, the funny thing is, you are the comedic goofball PC that, that like, takes these dark campaigns and makes them a little bit silly, and that's why you choose to run the dark ones, <laughs> so you can't do that as a PC. <laughs> and then it happens anyway. And then it happens, then it happens anyway. anyway. <laughs> like Spire. <laughs> I think Spire's been pretty consistent in tone. I think so. Throughout. I think so. You guys are afraid. Of what might happen. We and are. that's the only thing and that that's, matters. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So tip number two, fear. <laughs> Make your players fear Make the world. Make your players afraid <laughs> yeah. of you. If that's the type of story you're telling, absolutely. Sure. Uh, <laughs> on, a, on a more serious note, the, the next section that we're going to talk about, or the next part that we're going to talk about, is more related to player engagement. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about collective storytelling? <gasps> Maybe. 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 <laughs> how, do you, how do you engage players, Santi? Give us some juicy morsels. Oh, some tips. Why are you calling on me? I was because you started. You started the topic. I was the segue. I was hoping someone. No. Um. How do I get players engaged? Uh. I try 
myself, I try to make as many hooks that might interest mm -hmm. people as possible. Right. You start to mold the story to interest their characters to get them to kind of mm -hmm. shine out a little. And, and, I've and noticed that. It's, it's, oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, I would describe as the spaghetti on the wall method. It's not very accurate, but if you keep throwing spaghetti at the wall, some of it's going to stick, and then you just be like, that one works, and then you, you, you do that you Do that one. Yeah, and then nobody notices all the other times. So you're just like, yeah, this thing, I planned that the whole time. And I was like, oh, wow, that's great, just for me. He must put so much work into this, and it was like a two-word note. <laughs> I, I feel like... Put shiny thing in front yeah. of Chris. <laughs> Red button. <laughs> Well, I got a present. Believe it or for not, me? it has worked multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I was inspired by it because for a long time, you were the only other GM that I had seen GMing before Like I started GMing. And then for a long time, it was just me and you GMing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I do do... In my head, it's more like the, the pins in a corkboard, and it's like later I have to figure out how they connect. It's like, yeah. okay, we'll, we'll connect the dots later, but here are all the dots. Mm -hmm. uh, I've also found out like recently that the more emotion players put in the more everyone gets out of a certain plot point or whatever it is like or or, or plot hook like whatever that emotion is if a play if a player if the players are like eh about something mm -hmm. it's not gonna go anywhere the players like if you're, as the GM, are going to present them with something, you, you want to either be like, oh, that's so cool, or I fucking hate this. Those are, like, the best reactions. Yeah. Okay, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. I uh, think there's a, there's a third reaction is, I'm crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, too. Like, the making them cry. To give an example from, uh, from Shadowrun, if I, I think of, like, three NPCs uh, that are, like, you know, those kinds of things. We have, like... We have, like, sp uh, spades, mm -hmm. which you guys are, like, are into, and you, like, you investigated his background, and, you know, uh, you kind of engaged with. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, like, one of the earliest characters in the campaign you guys were, like, really into. His name was Ace, and then we found out he was the son oh, oh, yeah. of spades, and yeah. he's like, Ace of spades, it was right there! <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, that's an early, like, you guys were excited about yeah. it. The big villain right now in the campaign, Eustace... I feel like there was a long time where, like, he was a driving force with the campaign because, like, things happened. You were like, oh, I hate Eustace. And that drove you to the campaign. And then, like, he dropped off, like, uh, from the story. And I could see the story lull mm -hmm. a little bit. And then when I brought him back in, it started ramping up again because you're all like, oh, we hate this guy. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I feel like some one of the examples of a badly introduced uh, or badly integrated NPC is Siri. You're all like, eh, she's there, but, like, you forget about her all the time. It's like, yeah, she's relevant to the she's plot. She's a plot contrivance. Yeah, like, like it, she is super powerful and really helps, like, our, like, it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't, our campaign wouldn't be going anywhere without this character, but we just forget about them a yeah, lot of the time. Yeah, because they're not exciting, they're mm -hmm. not, they don't trigger any emotions out of anything. You know what, you and know what I she feel does like, do? Yeah. You know what she does do? She makes us care much more about the gold we keep on ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Because we're like, Fuck, we gotta keep our gold so we can pay Siri. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember Siri. I, I'm very aware of our gold all of the time, yeah. though. Yeah, but like, overall, it's that whole arc I, I'm not very happy with. But like, overall, like, <laughs> again, I was gonna, uh, what I'm getting at is the, the emotions. Getting mm -hmm. emotions, like, it, 
if you're running something and you, you weren't to, like, you can try to get emotions out of something and sometimes you'll succeed. But then there's also times where emotions just, you know, come up naturally. Yeah. I feel like Eustace was an intentional make you hate him mm-hmm. and that worked. But, like, things like Ace were not an intentional make you love him. But you did. And yeah, so I was I, like, all right, we're bringing him more. I, I completely agree. And there's a lot of cases that I found where you need to, uh, like Santi was saying, spaghetti wallet. And then just lean hard into the places that your characters... Things stick, yeah. Like, enjoy and find joy in and, are like, connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, an example from Spire is Wander the Lost, who is just a big, sad, extraordinarily powerful, depressed warrior, uh, who is literally the most powerful character in the story. And he was supposed to have a very minor part he was probably going to get killed off pretty early in the story. And then session one, we they go to a party and, you know, someone sidles up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a good time to introduce him. And everyone loves him immediately. And so my notes are just, find out how to put Wander the Lost in the plot. <laughs> <laughs> how can I make him fit in that doesn't feel forced? Yeah, because honestly, especially after I had, like, played him a little bit, I was like, I enjoy playing this character. This is fun for me. This is fun for my players. So I am going to do more of this. Nobody yeah, needs to know. It. Yeah, nobody needs to know that this wasn't the plan the whole time. I'm just like, yeah, this is a great character that I had always intended to be an <laughs> integral part of the story. Um, I have found that if you as a GM put in a lot of emotional stakes yourself into characters, plot lines, setting, etc., it will come out to the players as well. And yeah. it will resonate with the players depending on what they're looking for in that setting. So mm-hmm. if you make a very compelling, depressing kind of like character arc for an NPC and a player is resonating with that, that will that will be like an engagement point for them. And these kind of like emotive resonance points that you put in aren't strictly just literal narration points. Um, I like to use as much sensory application as possible Mm -hmm. when I run games because different players resonate with different sensory emotive hooks. Like some people really enjoy deep descriptions of setting, of sounds, of smells, of of characters. They like to hear details of them. Like mm-hmm. he's wearing a, a a silk robe embroidered with gold and silver inlay in the shape of the sigil of his house. Right. Uh, as an example. It helps you put in It helps you put in and the more you put in, the more the players get from it. But I also use sound a lot. Mm-hmm. Um in Exalted I have sounds for particular characters, particular events that also has gameplay elements to it, but ultimately it's it's to provide a kind of auditory narrative cue for the players to kind of more easily understand and engage with what the tone of the environment they're in is right now. If it's happy, if it's jovial, then the players know this isn't necessarily a bad thing. This Mm -hmm. is happy. But if it is like somber, serious, or creepy, then players know that something's wrong. And it kind of like plays into it. So the more you kind of put into 
the emotive sensory aspect of your game, the more chances your players have to engage with it. And that's really what you want. You yeah. want to give them as many chances to engage with it as possible. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Because what I think about when I think of like tabletop role-playing games is it's a... Unless you're playing with like a whole crazy built-out board, it is you know more of a imagination-based game, and the more ways that you can kind of trigger people's you know imaginations, like with sound and descriptions, like it's just another way to get people more into the story, right? Yeah, I really like the the music thing you, you do, mm-hmm. Santi. I will admit it's not. For everyone, I have difficulty. I've tried to do it, but I have difficulty just because I can't focus uh, that well on, like, keeping track of the music. There's music in my head, but just, like, having that play at the right beats or, like, even thinking to play that uh, gets me. Uh, This is a small aside, tiny piece of advice. Mm -hmm. Use combat music, but not... But, like, not always. I feel like combat music is, is a nice thing if you're running online or if you're running in a group that doesn't talk a lot. By that I mean, like, wishfully, combat music would do no good. Because all of us are talking all the time. There's always, like, two or three conversations happening at once. Okay? Combat music, we don't need it. But in Shadowrun, especially because we run online and we've learned how to, like, not talk over each other, when people are doing turns or, like, figuring out their dice rolls and, you know, like, putting together their dice pools to roll, it's like there's always, like, lulls in conversations. And so, like, combat music just fills that in. Yeah, and it helps you stay in the mood. Of yeah, it combat. helps you just yeah. stay in the mood. And, like, you don't have these weird, like, Silas's awkward pauses. pauses. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, I was just, like, preparing my dice roll or yeah. what have you. And, and also, just so nobody gets, like, discouraged or feels like, oh my gosh, this sounds like so much work, especially what Santi was talking about, sometimes you throw in Boblin the Goblin. And your players love him. <laughs> I feel like people, players love the most worth, the more worthless a character is, an NPC is, the more players love him. I like, feel. like Galir in Fantasy High. Yeah, yeah. Like, what a gem of a character. Just a sad elf, a di- sad divorced elf that keeps getting yogurt on himself. Like, yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's a gulf, right? Like, there's either the super high effort stuff that players get really emotionally attached to, and it's like, this was great, and then there's the things that were supposed to be a one-off gag that players are like, this is my whole personality now. Uh, so, if you're putting a middling amount of effort in, don't bother. That's my <laughs> advice. <laughs> uh, okay. Full, well, full effort or well gu- guys, it's time to end Shadowrun right away. Nuke that, because uh, my effort is nothing if not middling. <laughs> Okay, can I move us along? Yeah, I have another... Okay, so I have something special prepared for us today. Ooh, oh, new segment alert. I thought that was going to be the end. No, no, no. We're going to be... New segment alert. I have a new segment that I would like to announce called... Questions for the rest. Crazy sound that was a crazy sound effect. Good job, Ennis. Uh, what we're going to be doing is, since I, Caleb, am not particularly an experienced GM, I've done it once or twice in like one shots and stuff like that, but not in a full campaign, so I don't feel 
fully comfortable with giving complete advice because I haven't done it. Um, but I would like to pick your guys' brains if that's all right. And so these are just kind of quick questions. Just kind of like, don't get, go into it for too long because we don't have much time left anyways, but (laughs) you know, just kind of give some thoughts on it. Um, these are kind of quick questions anyways. So the first one is what is the most you wrote into a campaign for it to just be ignored and not explored? Oh, oh okay. Uh, ooh, this sounds like a targeted attack against me. No, uh, no, I I realize, but uh, this has happened so many times, so many, in so many cases. I don't know where to begin to answer this question. There's the D and D campaign that I started in in university uh, that I had written the entire kind of like arc of all these like magical artifacts that the players found and where they were going to unlock like different aspects of them and the challenges that they were going to go to and literally the campaign ended when they actually got the artifacts and nothing else happened so there's that (laughs) so you wrote a whole bunch about that and Um, nothing i I was gonna say this is targeted against you but because you override i feel like a lot of the time you get into it it's not a bad thing you get into (laughs) it and you override this shit Mm, shush. I, so I'm asking again. So I'm the asking most. the most. The one, the, the most. The, one the, the most. The single most. Yes. yes. Come back to me. I need to think about it. Okay. For me, it's the Zer Shop and Shadowrun. Yeah. The Zer Shop is it's like the most and also the least because I spent so much time on some items, especially b- before Shad- we ran Shadowrun in fifth edition before mm-hmm. sixth edition. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time. I would like spend, like, two, three hours a day, every day, just, like, working on it. Uh, on like, coming like, up with items to put in the shop? Coming up with items and then figuring out their stats and their unique quirks, because yeah. this is, like, the shop where you get, uh... uh like, magical stuff, items. Magical items and yeah. stuff. And it's, like, I have, like, 40 weapons, 20 pieces of armor, 20, pe- like, 20 pieces of, like, uh, miscellaneous gear, mm. like, another 15 pieces of, uh, of consumable items... Uh, we have not seen even half of them. That's wild because we were repeating a lot of them. <laughs> because I, I randomly generate I which ones come up. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is I spend a lot of time to figure them out very precisely mechanics-wise and stats-wise. Uh, and then we swap to 6th edition. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, dude. <laughs> which have different oh, mechanics of stats. So which is why now, often when I make the search shop, I don't have any stats for the items that come up. I have, like, what their unique quirks are and what their stats in. Dude, honestly, because, like, now knowing that, like, <laughs> oh my god, that's, that's, I feel bad for you, man. <laughs> so, I. That's rough, buddy. Yeah. So, that was the most I've. Uh, Alright, Chris, what about, about you? The, the most I wrote that didn't get explored was Icewind Dale. Because at the start of it, there was uh, two characters that uh, both the players end up switching characters uh, because they didn't fit with the tone. We've mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they had a whole big story arc that was in the Icewind Dale book and that I had done a bunch of work on that was like with the giants in the mountains and like <coughs> uniting the tribes against the frost maiden. Uh, and like, that was going to be their story arc. And like, I, I put a bunch of work into that and then turns out <laughs> it was like, Oh, well, the characters don't really fit. There was some problems. So 
they didn't do that. It happened in the background. I was like, oh, that's fine. And then James gets his new character, and I'm like, okay, I got this. Another way write, to introduce this point. <laughs> I write a whole big thing about, like, an assassin's guild that's out to get Ennis's character, and I'm, like, trying to, working so hard to integrate it. And then three sessions later, he get he runs, he, in his first moment of heroism, runs in to fight a mind flare, gets critically hit by it, his brain gets eaten, no roll, he's just dead, and then in their bid to try and revive him, their druid turns into a spider, crawls in his ear to try and kill the Ugh. the baby. Content warning. Of, <laughs> uh, to try and kill like the, the egg that was implanted. Yeah. Uh, and that thing does one point of damage. Spiders have one health, so crawled in. Oh my god. When you no. lose all of your health and drew a wild shape, you revert back revert to back your, yeah. inside of his skull. Basically dead. Yeah. TLDR. Yeah. Dead just say could dead. not be revived. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like, three characters. writing <laughs> All down the drain. Yeah. Mm. Fun times. All right. Have you found your... Yeah. Yeah. I have two. Oh, my but they're, they're, God. they're for different reasons. Okay. okay? Go for it. So one is hasn't been explored yet. Okay. Don't, don't worry about that. Back. That's not that. Okay. We're talking about something that got completely ignored and that, that will never be... Yeah. That's missed. Yeah. That was and missed. will never come back. Yeah. Wasted effort. Wasted effort. Yeah. I mean, I don't really consider anything wasted effort. Um, no. Uh, then that would have to be my Game of Thrones campaign. Where I uh, had basically an entire political conspiracy set up between like six different houses and the uh, free cities of Essos, and the main character's father was spying. Uh, for the Seven Kingdoms in the Free Cities, and then he got captured, and it, it was this whole, like, conspiratorial, like, what is going on between the houses and the Free Cities and the Seven Kingdoms, and uh, that campaign is currently on indefinite hiatus. Mm, fair. All right, question... Rough, yeah, that is rough. I'm sorry. Sorry to hear, buddy. Yeah. Question number two I have for you all. Yeah. It is, what is the most, like, creative, out-of-the-box, something that you weren't thinking of as a solution to a problem that your players decided to go for that just completely took you out of left field and was like, I didn't think about that. Sure, yeah, and I love that. What's something like that that you've experienced? Uh, I think two come to mind for me. Mm -hmm. The first is... From uh, also from Icewind Dale, uh, because Santi is a bastard and likes to play wizards. In one utility caster baby, yeah, in one of the fights, uh, it was supposed to be a real bad situation for them. They were like uh, encountering the Duragar king, and his big reveal at the start of combat for the players was they were in a meeting room with him, and if they engaged in combat, he smashed the ground and destroyed it, putting everyone into a, like, 200-foot drop, like, presumably to their deaths. 
he's immune to fall damage, so he's just going to drop. He had a bunch of archers below that were just going to pelt them through the in the sky as they came down if they tried to fly or anything. And for him, he had like a couple of magic spells, but was mostly just going to stab whoever came down to the ground first. And immediately, first turn, gets knocked down. Santi's like, I'm going to cast Featherfall. And I'm like, great, I've prepared for that. He has archers. He's just going to shoot them while they're shooting ducks, or they're sitting ducks. No problem. Do I need to cast Featherfall? Like, do I need consent to cast Featherfall in some way? I'm like, let me check the wording of the spell. And I look at it. It doesn't say willing creature. It's just, it's just a, right. a creature. Yeah. He's like, oh, may I cast Featherfall on the boss? And I'm looking at a stat sheet. He has like a 1d10 Eldritch Blast. And everything else is melee. If he's in the air, the boss can't do anything. (laughs) So he's just sitting there angrily staring at them for three rounds as he falls. And everyone's (laughs) magic caster is just blowing him up. Flailing in the air. (laughs) Like, with his sword. That's that's amazing. Using a first-level spell to completely tear apart my encounter. And this question is also, like, a small, like, way of me kind of giving a tip (laughs) of allow this silly to happen, right? Allow the creative to happen in your characters. I have never set, like, a definitive solution to a problem. Like, none of the problems I ever give my players has, like, one way to solve it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I'm always, I'm kind of, like... I want them to go left field. Right. Uh, but the most surprised I was was when I was a fresh GM. This is like maybe the third or fourth sessions I ever GM'd. It was Shadowrun, uh, fifth edition. Uh, they had this police convoy. It's like, okay, what What they need to- we all We all just made our face because we all know where this is going. It's beautiful. Yeah. What they needed to do is st- steal something from a police convoy, okay? Yeah. How they did it, I was like, completely up to them. So they scout, there's a portion of, like, rural road that the police convoy is going to go through. And they're like, okay, that's where we're going to stop them. We're going to set up some way to stop them there. They find, like, a barn. They're like, okay, maybe we set the barn on fire and they get distracted and one of them was like well they're not gonna stop just for a barn on fire they have something to transport they're you know they're a convoy it's like well what if like we have children all over the street <laughs> like it's like literally out of nowhere it's like what if we have children over the street and like i shadow just shadow is all about criminals and sometimes it brings the worst out of people because you think like a criminal and they're like well are we gonna kill this many children that's the first thing they went for it's just well, let's just massacre enough children to blockade a road oh a highway uh, they end up not massacring anyone the NPC I I did this is like one of the few where I'm like we're taking this left turn right here we're taking this uh, off ramp right now where I was like uh, they were discussing this with an NPC and the NPC was like I know some kids from an orphanage that we can hire. We can just pay them. It's just a very small amount and they'll do this. They'll stand in the middle of a street and wave at the police convoy. And that'll stop. And hopefully the police was not uh, intense enough to run kids over. (laughs) Uh, That is what they ended up going with and ended up working in the way they want. A few more child injuries than they wanted because of crossfire, but (laughs) uh, they end up healing those kids. Yeah, yeah, they were fine. The kids were fine. (laughs) 
they do set, also set the barn on fire. They didn't give up yeah. on that part. They're like, the kids can just be like, we're here in the middle of the road to ask for help for the barn. And they're like, all right, I don't know why you needed, they needed to Somebody set really <laughs> wanted that barn on fire. <laughs> and, you know, they just really, you know, yeah. tunnel visioned on mm. that barn being on fire. But that is like, yeah, that, I, that yeah. took me by surprise. I no, distinctly definitely. remember the, the chain of events being, should we use kids? Yeah. How are you going to get kids? Well, we could kill them. No, 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 no. Let's kidnap them. But how do we make them stay there? We could drug them. No, we can just pay them. And yeah, the NPC is <laughs> like, let's just pay, pay them. Yeah. <laughs> I know some orphans, they're, they're willing to do it. Yeah. Again, this is all uh, in-game uh, role-playing yeah. imagination. We're playing criminals. It's fine in world. Yeah, don't. No, 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 it's, no, it's not, not fine okay. in world. It's, it's not fine in world. <laughs> um, That's why they, they were wanted criminals. Exactly. Uh, but yes, uh, don't do this at home, kids. Yeah, yeah don't do that, kids. Uh, <laughs> uh, me, uh, I want to. I want to dedicate this uh, to a very special somebody. Uh, his name's Zame. And he basically finished uh, what I was going to have, like an entire encounter, an entire session. It was going to be like four hours of this thing. And he finished it in like 15 minutes. And I'm still upset about it. Uh, it was an Exalted. They had <laughs> come to this gambling barge of the god of gambling. And uh, basically the god of gambling has it out for Zame's character, who's named Ames. And the, the whole idea was that in this gambling barge, you were able to gamble anything. Anything you have, do, or will own. You can, you can gamble it away. And, um, and he was supposed to be gambling for, you know, his freedom. He was supposed to be gambling to, you know, get rid of, like, the, the bad luck that he had gotten from the god of gambling. And it was going to be this, and, and I had set up this, like, gambling game that we were supposed to play, and there was going to be multiple rounds, and the other players were going to be spectating, and being, and I was going to give the other players opportunities to kind of, like, intervene, or, like, help. Influence it. Influence it, exactly. But it was going to be a Zame-centric session, and, 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 and it's going to be over the course of multiple rounds, where... A Zame wins some hands, loses some hands, mm -hmm. wins stuff, loses stuff. Yeah. And that's what it was going to be. And this motherfucker. But that's, that's if you wanted a Zame-centric story, I, I mean, that is the most Zame you can get. It, it, it ended up being the most Zame thing, because I told him the rules of gambling, and he said, I gamble me winning this game. I gamble all my wins of this game right now. And he turned this 10-round gambling session into one because if he won it, he won it. And if he lost it, he lost it. And there was no going back. It was all in immediately. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> he was like, hours of game? Ultimatum. <laughs> <laughs> like, if he lost that, he would have lost everything. 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 He, he would have owned in the past and future. Yeah. Absolutely, he 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 bet everything. high stakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was just floored, completely flabbergasted. I still played it straight. He won legitimately, but like I was, why? <laughs> but yeah, so I I think in terms of these moments, I I think you can hear how much we enjoyed them as GMs, especially. So my advice is. 
that if you want to have moments like that, like Ennis was saying, create open-ended problems. Like, mm-hmm. here is the problem. It's not, you know, this is how I expect them to solve it. Sometimes that's useful to think about. But a lot of the time, I just put barriers in front of my players, and I do it agnostic of what their abilities are. I just think about what is in this world that is trying to stop them. And I try and forget about what is on my players' character sheets, because every time they get to use their abilities and like think of, oh, I can do this cool thing, it is wonderful and surprising and giving your players those opportunities to, pr- to surprise you and give you those moments of legitimately like ah you son of a bitch and they'll those love that great. and you'll love that right yeah like every time caleb said and dinka was there <laughs> i forget every time i do and love he loves it ability. it's, <laughs> it's so fun it's great let your players surprise you all right so question three mm-hmm. so this is kind of a Like, how do you like to do it, right? So, question three is, how often are you improvising versus going off your written notes? For me, it's like 75% improvising. Mm -hmm. That's me personally. It's like 25% notes. It's like the notes are just a backbone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have an idea. and And, you know, the rest is just... Improv- improvise like, like I, I yeah it's like I'm, I'm never like this is what an NPC like is gonna say or like I've never rehearsed what they're gonna say I'm like it's like this NPC's there this is what you want f- from the NPC this is this NPC's like general like goals in life mm-hmm. and their like, vibe their yeah. vibe their 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 uh if this was exalted uh it'd be their uh intimacies mm-hmm. And what, what happens, happens. I'm also bad at writing things sometimes. And I change what I've written a lot on the fly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Fair. What about you, Chris? I, I think for me, yeah, like 80-20, mostly improvised. Mm-hmm. What I have is usually just like the outline of the situation. Um, I tend to have combat a lot better notes for. Yeah. Uh, just because... I love me some crunchy combats. Uh, but that, that's just for my own personal enjoyment and give myself cool monsters to play with. But in terms of narrative, it's just I know what the scene is. And again, I, I know what the NPC motivations are in that scene. And then I just I just let the players loose. Okay. One thing, if I can just interject here, one thing that you did say is you really like combat. And so you like putting in a bunch of fun characters to help you, mm-hmm. you know, kind of plan out that combat. That does kind of go over another tip, I think, is, you know, as a GM, make sure to have fun and enjoy it yourself, right? Like, you're not mm-hmm. just there to tell a story. You're also there to have fun as well, right? Yeah. So. Give yourself some treats. Exactly. You control the world. Make bad guys that are fun for you. Monologue a little bit. Oh, whatever's yeah. fun. Uh, <laughs> Plot to kill a player's dog. Yeah, <laughs> Plot to kill the player's dogs. Is that's something that's <laughs> that Ennis likes to do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're into. So yeah, no, so, no, no. We're gonna move on. Okay, move on, move on. But I want to hear. I want to hear Salt's answer first, and yeah, then yeah, I have yeah. a comment. Okay, it, it it depends entirely on the campaign and the session I'm in. Of course, if, if I'm gonna be honest with you, because 
for example, uh, the Shadowrun one-shot that I ran for us, I did rehearse a lot to get the timing of that first section right. of the campaign on par with the music so that it could kind of like hit that story beat as I did it like correctly so that there'd be kind of like that like cyberpunk feel of like there's there's wah. music and wah and mm-hmm. shattered glass uh, and I do that quite a bit with a lot of other campaigns where I will spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours while I'm doing other things in life thinking and mentally rehearsing and writing down and thinking and mentally rehearsing and trying to really precisely tune certain aspects of the session mm-hmm. because it's either very important or it's going to come up and I have to be, be prepared for every situation and that's me having anxiety and I just need to make sure that I <laughs> I am prepared. Yeah, yeah. I've and, done villain monologues in the shower. Yeah, oh, yeah. 100%. Dude, and, I, do, I do monologues for my characters <laughs> in situations that they're never going to be in, but it's still fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so for those, I would say it's like... 80% like pre-planned I know roughly what I'm going to say mm-hmm. what's going to be said how I'm going to describe it and then 20% improvised for mm-hmm. a little bit but then other times I'm like I've been running games for so so long that mm-hmm. I already kind of have the intuition built up of like how something should run how something should feel yeah. what is the correct story beats for this thing where do i want to take it and then it flips and like for a lot of sessions it'll be like chris said 80 20 of improv yeah. and, and prepared i'll have story beats that i know i want to touch on and then everything else is kind of like free-flowing mm-hmm. yeah. and i this whole question is kind of like to take a look behind the curtain on like, because a lot of people might have the misconception that the GMs have their entire story planned out, and mm-hmm. every single session is like we wrote everything for this. But so, I, some like some people think that. that, and some some people might do that, right? Like mm-hmm. again, it's it's differing depending on the GM how yeah. you want to do it. Yeah. But there are other options, right? Yeah. Like you can improvise a lot of it, and yeah. mm-hmm. people will have just as much fun, if not more, because it's not so structured but again the structure does uh it does give you that um je ne sais quoi that dependability like you know you're gonna be hitting on these points and like you know it's gonna be strong because you wrote it to be strong right Mm -hmm. my comment from earlier is that chris and i are in an impasse because he said that he prepares 80 20 i said 75 25 Mm -hmm. he writes at least 50 percent more than i do one of us is lying. <laughs> Either I underestimated or Chris is overestimating um, how much he uh, he improvises or I improvise. See, the the problem is that a lot of my plans I are not set in stone. Like I'll have an outline of here are the things that I think are happening, but as sessions go, my spire plans are gone. <laughs> Everything I have written is no longer relevant because the players have changed what is happening so drastically. So, for me, now that we are towards the end of the campaign, it is 95% improvisation. Just because things have changed. Uh, and that's 
that's why it's kind of a hard question for me to answer, just because of the way mm-hmm. I like to run. I know that if I showed you my notes, my GM notes, you would cry because of how little and nonsense <laughs> is in there. I, I, think, I think you would be surprised that about how little I have planned out. Mm-hmm. The last eight sessions of Spire, I have run off of four sentences. Chris, nice. the last two years of Shadowrun, I could have run without my notes. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, it's all in my head. I, 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 like, feel, I know, it's like... I feel like, again, there's like this dichotomy <laughs> where, a, like, in, yeah. in Exalted, I have to maintain so much meticulous notes of things that players may never encounter mm-hmm. because I'm running a mm-hmm. living world where things happen whether or not the players interact with them. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have those notes... I can't say whether or not players will, like, the things that are happening out there are going to happen. So I, for Exalted, I have so much notes, because if I didn't, the the outside world becomes this ephemeral, non-consequential thing, which is the Mm -hmm. opposite of what I want. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, different GMs, different styles. I was going to say, like, if not for Bingo, I usually would not even have to open my notes. Yeah. Uh, Which is what I like players do. Yeah, I don't even. Uh, that's why we have uh, recaps at the beginning of every Shadowrun. <laughs> yeah, no, recaps are <laughs> Those important. are for me. That's another good tip. GM tip, recaps are important for not only you, but also your players to get them thinking about everything that happened. You um, said you wanted to appear behind the veil. I thought I was like, I can right now tell you how I've planned for something that is relevant in Shadowrun right now, which is killing that dog. All the plans, and it's not even written down in my notes. The plans is like, I'll kill that dog. It's, I think, <laughs> <laughs> you have a sentence in your note is, I'll kill that dog. It's not even for kill dog. Kill I'll dog. Kill it. I'll kill yeah, it. It's no, not even have. in my notes. I just like had the thought one day. It's like, it'd be a cool emotional thing, especially with uh, Sevens being down in the dumps and things going wrong. The dog should die at some point, so I'm just going to try to kill the dog, and let's, we'll see what happens. And it's his philosophy that's, of life, kick him while they're down. Yeah, yeah. at some point, someone will kill the dog, and if they don't, hey, he succeeded. Whatever. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. I got can, one final question for you guys, ooh, if that's all right. Final yeah. question. Uh, and I think it's a good place to end. Mm-hmm. Because sure. it kind of does wrap up everything we were talking about. Unless there's anything you want to get out I right now. There's a few minor things that I wanted to talk about. Go ahead. Uh, What's up? If you're GMing and you're worried about rules uh, of any ses- uh, session you're in, yes, we said the GM should be, like, in a lot of cases, not should be, but is expected to be a rules arbiter. That doesn't mean you have to know the rules off by hand. You can no. easily run games where the players know the rules as well as, if not more than you. And as long as there is, like, a again... As long as everyone's on the same page, there's an understanding. As long as there's an understanding, that's good enough to run. I I would say that that a good rule of thumb for a GM is not necessarily that you know all the rules of a system, like you said, but rather you know where to find the answers you need. Yeah. Like like you need to know not page by page, word by word, but you need to know. This the NPCs are in this half of the book, and the rules for this are in this part of the book, and you can find it quickly. Or like if you're like I'm about this NPC is about to grapple a player character, I know that the combat rules are in this general area exactly. of the yeah. book. Uh, grappling is towards the latter half of the book. Uh, I 
ran my first campaign. It was a Shadowrun campaign. I had never heard of Shadowrun before running it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I read, sat down, read about the setting, read about the rules, got like basically all the rules wrong, like in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, we still had fun. It was a great campaign. We yeah. all remember it. Children were paid and not kidnapped. Don't let inexperience yeah. uh, prohibit you from GMing. Yeah, yeah. the rules... Do not make the game fun. Yeah, that's it's a it's a weird thing to think about, but the fun is hanging out with your friends and telling fun stories, and yeah. the rules help make that easier. But those are a thing that you can learn just by doing it. They're yeah. physics engine. They make a refined game, but they don't. It's not what makes a game good. Yeah. Another quick point is uh, I always encourage your pa- uh, players to interact and to contribute. What and like. Ask questions to, uh, you know, postulate stories, like, uh, give their opinion on how a story will go. Like, you're like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? How is that going, how's that going to affect your character? Mm-hmm. Which way do you want to go? Do you like this or do you not like this? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, like, they'll have their own, like, creative ideas and it's like, what if this happens to the character and this will be cool? And, you know, what if this goes this way? And I think this. Uh, this is nice if it goes this way, and then, you know... Yeah, I think uh, it's good to have that discussion with your players. I also think, like, even just more um, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. like, just asking players, even just, like, during the... or right after the session, is like, what do you guys think about, like, this character? Mm -hmm. Just, like, get them, like, invested in, like, oh, and thinking about it. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, what could that lever have been for? Or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, don't be afraid to ask them questions about, like, criticisms. Like, what did Mm -hmm. you ask? What do you think about this session? What do you think about this campaign? And they'll give you, and, like, be open to whatever opinion, like, positive or negative they give you. Uh, So, you know, that'll really help you, like, push the campaign in a good direction. Definitely. Uh, And then the, uh, the, from for me, the last point I had is if you're thinking about writing a story, write the ending first. <laughs> if you know how a story is going to end, like how you want it to end, uh, you know how everything else is going to fall into place. Like what the, f- the villains want to do, what you know, uh, or antagonists want to do, what yeah. like uh, you know the characters involved want to do, what the scenes that have to happen to get to where you want to yeah. go happen. Definitely. That, that's a big one. I, I in basically every campaign mm-hmm. that I've run, have that, like, how does this end is such a powerful thing to know for you as a GM, because then all of your actions can just be manipulating the story in that direction and trying to push the players there mm-hmm. in their long, meandering path. So, last question. Last question in the fun segment is what is your favorite and least favorite parts of GMing? My favorite part is like getting to tell a story. I, if not for the fact that I'm don't like writing, I have like, I have some difficulties with patience and writing is a ordeal of patience. I like telling stories, you know, I I like, you know, building worlds and, and, uh, even building characters and like being a GM is honestly you get to play the most characters when you're a GM. You get to build the most characters mm-hmm. as a GM, uh, and so that's like honestly the part that I 
like the the most like the setting up the cool stories the setting up the cool anime moments yeah. and things like that and just watching it play out and just like you know having that narrative that you want to tell it's it's a great way to do it especially if again you don't have the patience or the the willpower uh or the skill for writing mm-hmm. uh like writing like a novel and stuff like that uh the part i like the least is his players (laughs) interrupting his cool stories (laughs) no no players are great uh the part i like least would be like it would have to do with the logistics uh i again for the same reasons i don't have a lot of patience so i don't have a lot of patience to set up maps or uh you know figure out music for different characters or situations like even though i want there to be music i just don't have the patience for it and like the the time it takes to make a refined product mm-hmm. uh it's yeah, building maps sucks yeah uh it's also like i feel like has influenced things like part of the reason shadowrun has gone on as long as it does is that i just sometimes just can't bring myself to to set up sessions and so i like Mm -hmm. to let the players just be like you know that's why it was a slice of life for so long because i'm like okay just do whatever that i don't i don't need any prep for that yeah uh and it's not a good thing to to hate but it's i mean like i'm being honest it's it's no that's that's what i want that's what i want from you guys give me your honest opinions so chris what is your favorite and least favorite parts of being gm well, least favorite, obviously the players. The players are the worst. Uh, players are the worst. Players are the worst. This is uh, an anti-player podcast. This is a GM podcast. This is anti-player. Um, yeah, I think my least favorite is probably like building and creating a world. I always really mm-hmm. struggle with that. Like the the actual setup part for me is always very very difficult. Uh, but like once I'm running, it's wonderful. It's just that, that initial, like, Hey, what's the world? And that's why I tend to go more towards like pre-written adventures or adventures in like worlds that already exist and already have so much details in them because I did my own homebrew setting for my first campaign and that was a nightmare. Yeah. Wouldn't do that again. Um, so if you don't like that. Find a place that's Googleable, <laughs> yeah. or, or have like a place that's or, or contained, yeah. you know, like Spire or mm-hmm. you know something like that. Spire is also pre-written. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, if I can find it in the book, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, but my favorite part is a hundred percent just being able to give my friends cool moments and stories of the cool shit that they did in their sessions. Right, like those moments where they're able to surprise me or, like, overcome these obstacles. And that's part of the reason why I tend to have the Dragon Ball problem where I power escalate so quickly. But it's like, I love the rule of cool and I love seeing my players succeed at really cool things against all odds. Uh, So being able to give my friends those moments and like seeing that sparkle in their eye. And especially when they're like, ah, yeah, fuck you. You thought we were going to, we're going to win. It's like, I didn't think you were going to win, but it's really cool that you did. (laughs) Wow. How altruistic of you. (laughs) I'm 
to kill you at all times so that it's glowing oh, and warm uh, when I manage to not do that. Yeah. All right, Santi? Um, my least favorite part mm-hmm. of GMing is when it's... My least favorite and my most favorite are two sides of the same coin. Okay. My least favorite is when you do something, you introduce a scenario, uh, a puzzle, a concept, a conversation, a character, a mystery, and it doesn't click for the players. Mm. And you have to kind of like throw more rope down and more rope and it's not clicking. You have to hurt the sheep a little more. And you have to hurt them more and it's still not clicking. And you both simultaneously feel like the cruelest, most vindictive person because you, you're so filled with resentment that's like, come on. Yeah, you're this both is... thinking like, come on, like both the players and the GM yeah, are like, yeah, just, 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 what the it, fuck? This, this was a puzzle and a rhyme from a, a book for eight-year-olds. You can do this. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't like having that feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's not good for the players either. It's like it's like it's just it's a very feel bad moment when things don't. But, click. but you don't know when that's going to happen. Right? Exactly, it's not yeah. something that you can predict necessarily. Mm-hmm. And inversely, the other side of that coin is when things do click. Mm-hmm. It's when it's when you've set something up and you see in players' words and their actions and their eyes when everything starts clicking and you see can, the gears. You turning. see the gears turning. Yeah. You can see them like making conspiracies in their head and and like connecting dots and i absolutely adore that moment i i i live to make that moment happen as much as possible yeah oh yeah just all those moments of having natasha sit there and ramble about all of the crazy that's, shit that's, that's my favorite part is like like going conspiracy about like everything <laughs> It's all connected. It's like, all a conspiracy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it is now. Yeah, like, sure, yeah. That's yeah. good. <laughs> Keep it up. I, I just figured something out. Mm-hmm. Chris, me and you need to run a joint campaign where I, I make the, I build the word world for you and you run the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my favorite part of the, of GMing and you're like, oh, that's the worst part. I, like, I knew I, I was going to get some differences in your answers. I, I want to, I kind I low-key want to see that where I, I'll, 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 you know, set up the world for you. Uh, and like, again, I can't be a player. I'd just be like a co-GM. Like, I'll be your Google. Instead of Googling it, you're like, Ennis, what is this? All right. He'll be in control of the world and the environments and all that stuff. You want co-GM Icewind Dale Part 2 for me? (laughs) That already exists. I I would would, mind. If if we co-GM, I'm going to write you a new Ennistrad. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Build you a new Ennistrad. Get get, get a room, you two. Get a room. (laughs) We're in a room. Don't, don't, no, not here. This is my place. Well, uh, is there anything else that we want to say before we wrap up this lovely episode of the Table Topics podcast? Uh, Have fun. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Have fun. Don't be a dick. Wiser words have never been said. (laughs) I think that's what the Bible said, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
verbatim. I want I a that's... Bible with just like your endorsement at the front, like five star, have fun, don't be a dick, it quotes. <laughs> that's the Sparks notes that you I mean, pretty much. And that's been another episode of the Table Topics Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I've been Caleb. Joining me again, as always, S. Chris. Santiago. And uh, just remember, we don't validate parking. Yeah. Also, Zane, hope this intro is good enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> it never is. It will never be good enough for Zane.